Our text for this morning, or oh, after the let's after the sermon, let's sing hymn 24, the sixth stanza. Our text this morning is found with the verses 5 through 8 of James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you haven't experienced major trials in your life, it can be somewhat overwhelming to hear Scripture say, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. What kind of joy can you experience when you are faced with scary situations? Don't people usually express fear or apprehension in those situations? A person obviously has to be under the influence of something quite different from the usual human emotions to let this particular joy work. Even though you may not know how it's possible yet, would it not be a wonderful thing to have? Look at the prospect of what it offers. Joy in the midst of trials and tribulations. To be able to say, my faith has been tested and yet I still feel joy. I have persevered and have grown and I have matured. I have become a more complete Christian as a result of these things. Isn't that where we all want to be? The Apostle James teaches us this morning that it is a wise Christian who seeks to cultivate this joy in the face of trials and tribulations. But congregation, before we go into our text, a word of caution. Our initial response to our text might well be that James comes to us this morning to speak about wisdom. While wisdom emerges as a major element in the passage, and indeed it, it forms our theme, wisdom is much too broad a subject for us to discuss and still do justice to our text. James does not discuss what wisdom is, why we need it, or when we need it. Those ideas are, are too remote. James addresses how we must live in joy. And in that he is saying, if we lack what is required to experience this joy, we should immediately ask for it. 
The reality of our lives is that God seeks to provide us with everything we need when trials and tribulations are set in our path. Therefore, if we look at our text more closely, we find James is talking more precisely about how to obtain wisdom. Looking at the context enables us to limit the subject even further. The preceding paragraph, verse 2 through 4, demonstrate that joy is the proper response to trials. Our text expands on that discussion when it calls us to look at how to obtain wisdom in the midst of trials so as to make our joy complete. Let us listen then to the word of our, our Lord as we find that with our text of James chapter 1 verse 5 through 8 under the following theme and heads. How to obtain wisdom in the midst of trials. See in the first place how to do that by asking God for wisdom. Secondly, by asking in faith. First of all, asking God for wisdom. The world in which we live is designated as a battlefield where the powers of good are at war with the powers of evil. And it's a war which requires intense commitment on our part. There's to be no let-up. There's to be no leave of absence from this war. Christian soldier must fight to the end. How shall he do that? From the outset, a believer needs to realize that his war is not the same as the warfare of nation against nation. Rather, he needs to focus on the image of the stone in the book of Daniel, which rolled down and destroyed the image of the many nations. He needs to know that this stone is Jesus, and that his ability to overcome all the nations, as seen with the vision, is all about the purpose God has of conquering this world spiritually. The Christian man needs to know for certain that he belongs to Jesus and has been given the task to serve God spiritually in the kingdom of his Son. He must not fight with sword and spear. His weapon is a spiritual weapon. It's the word of God. Now we know the church has not always carried through on her mandate to use the word of God as her weapon. Quite often in history, the church has taken on a similar role as that of governments. One has but to think of the great crusades of the Middle Ages to realize that spiritual warfare nearly always meant physical warfare. Also the great inquisition of the Roman church against the reformers at the time of the Reformation was very political, very physical It would not be completely fair, however, to blame the early Christians of the Roman church for how things evolved in the church into, into the political after the time of the apostles. Apostle Peter already had a warped view of the role of the church. Think of how he took up the sword and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest at the time Jesus was arrested before Good Friday. The events of Good Friday... You remember what Jesus said. He said, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. 
In these words, we hear clearly that Jesus has intent on conquering the hearts of men by the power, by a power quite different than what the nations are accustomed to using. For Jesus, the weapon of victory is the word of God. This was the instrument he gave to the church when he gave her the mandate to go out and make disciples of all nations. There is, of course, no reason to believe that the scattered believers among the nations whom James addresses were thinking about taking up the sword. However, judging by how James writes, it would appear that they were losing focus on their mandate and the choice of her weapon. And the result? Well, it's the result is always a result. That initial joy was beginning to be replaced by fear. What produced this fear? Fear came when they no longer put on the armor of God, which is through put on through his word. Most of you remember what that armor is. If you don't, just look at that for a moment. Paul said in Ephesians 6, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Not having that armor, the slings and arrows of those who oppose will penetrate And will inflict damage. And that's what was happening, it would appear, with these scattered believers. And that that damage told these people that they were no longer safe. And so they began to fear. The confidence and joy they had initially had started to disappear. They began to take on a worldly stance over against the trials and tribulations they faced. What did they need to regain their joy? They needed to refocus on what had been given to them by the victory in and through the victory of Christ. And perhaps we need to do that too, brothers and sisters. Do we still hold the victory of Christ before our eyes? Are we really intent on living in the full strength of the power of God? Day by day? If not, this message also needs to penetrate our hearts again. Fill us with joy, the joy it affords. Brothers and sisters, the Apostle James comes to us this morning with the glorious news that the kingdom of God has been established, that the time of the victory of the stone over the nations, is a reality for us today. Now is the time for us in joy 
to experience what it is what is meant to be free to have sufficient faith to withstand any and every physical harm that others may try to inflict upon us the question as always is are you up to the task congregation doubts often creep into the lives of christians it is so easy to go back to our old ways to seek the answer for resisting trials and tribulations by doing as the world does fighting the enemy on his own turf that's the choice peter made as did the crusaders and those of the inquisition and many of us for isn't that where we often fall as well how often don't we physically prefer to destroy our enemies rather than deal with them spiritually of course there may be times when christians are legitimately called by the government to respond to aggression by taking up arms but james is not talking about that the scattered believers were being persecuted simply because they believed in jesus christ as their lord and savior they simply wanted to live as you and i do in our society but that has consequences spiritual warfare is much more immediate than physical warfare in physical warfare one often adds things up to see if it's worth fighting In spiritual warfare you don't add up the cost to see if you will fight. In spiritual warfare the encounters with the enemy are always there. And you need to know that you are to be less likely to retreat from such a situation once the sides are determined. at least it should be that way if you are truly a christian for you either wholeheartedly live for him and experience the joy or you no longer act as a christian christ brings peace to our lives brothers and sisters they bring it to you like you've never had before that peace is worth fighting for and holding on to for what else do we have you are challenged brothers and sisters and then the question becomes will you give up on that peace and that freedom that Jesus affords or will you stand and will you fight are you willing to go the distance or will you give up he's the only one who has ever offered peace indeed secured true peace and joy for mankind for you and for me but is that enough for you you need to take your stand you need to arm yourself to resist the onslaught of those of the world i repeat you will most certainly be opposed 
You're belonging to Christ automatically, indeed instantly, brings about a struggle between the powers of light and the powers of darkness. The war is on if you want to live as a Christian in this world. There's no room for compromise. Compromise for the Christian means to fall back into slavery. It means an end of joy. Realize that because you have taken on Christ. Everyone else becomes your potential enemy. Everyone else becomes your potential enemy. Think of that. Even the so-called peace-loving pacifists. For here you see the true colors. Even the peace-loving pacifists will immediately get involved in war against the believer. You will be strongly resisted. In the public school, if you defend creation over against, Peace-loving evolutionists. You will get a zero on your paper for what, for that when a hundred percent is what you need to move on to the, to the next grade. You will be opposed every step of the way by the media if you take your stand and hold onto immovable Christian truths. Brothers and sisters, it's a situation where we make choices for the Lord instead of for the status quo that become life and death struggles. And therefore James encourages us and and tells us to hold on to and never let go. To suffer as needs be and not change. And to ask for wisdom from God if we lack in these things. For we need to go on. Perseverance must finish its work. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Brothers and sisters, we may not always feel like we are severely persecuted. But don't think for a moment that there are no trials. Perhaps we don't see them as trials. Perhaps we think that living in this world, as the world does, is a comfortable thing to do. But congregation, just maybe, maybe we're not seeing what needs to be seen. Have you considered that? What will it take? Will it take the day when the government says, We may no longer worship here together because we continue to condemn sin as wrong, that homosexuality is wrong, abortion is wrong, so many other things are are wrong. How will you stand then? Will you be reduced to fear when that happens? We must project that we are free Brothers and sisters, we must show the world that there is another kingdom that is at work destroying the kingdoms of men. 
These are the implications of the words of James. We must stand and we must fight. We must stand and defend our freedom. Continue to offer it as freedom for others as well. Proclaim it. Be wise. Fill yourself with the wisdom which says, Here I stand, I can do no other. But make sure you stand in this truth, beloved. The Apostle James was well aware of the frailties of man. He knew how easy it would be for us to blame our suffering on our choice to follow Jesus. He knew how tempted we could be to look at the world and say, look at all the troubles we have to endure while everyone else is so well off. Indeed, James understood the meaning of the words of Psalm 73. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had almost lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. James knew the book of Job, where Job's wife and friends stood before him to address his stubbornness at remaining faithful to the Lord even after he had allowed Job to lose all his children and all his possessions. James knew how they had suggested that Job give up on that dream of seeing joy in God. James knew that trials would overcome the godly. When on the other hand, the ungodly would seem to get off scot-free. And perhaps you carry thoughts which make you want to give up too. Because it's so easier the other way. But what do you have then, brothers and sisters? Where is your true joy... To be found in this world if you give up on Jesus. James says there's only one solution. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without fault and it will be given to him. If you lack anything, Of this joy, this great joy that God alone brings in Christ. Then ask God to give you the wisdom to take hold of that truth. Or to take hold of it again. Ask God. Doesn't say here pray to God. Even though that is what obviously could be understood here. But James says ask God. Why is that? Well, here we see again that James is intent on introducing us to the immediacy of the work of Christ and the accomplishment that it is an accomplishment which has immediate, direct results, has opening to us, gives us that face-to-face relationship we have with God on account of Christ. Prayer is a wonderful thing. It is the most important part of how we show our thankfulness to God. But because so many people do not pray properly, prayer 
has an image of being a ritual that continues to keep a distance between man and God. Isn't that true? It's not understood always to be the intimate conversation which we are to have with God. But it's supposed to be. James does not want that clouding our minds and therefore he suggests suggests a more immediate approach. Ask. Simply ask God to provide you with wisdom. We live in the joy of being restored to God through Christ. The gulf which stood between God and us has been bridged. Heaven and earth are no longer about distance and opposite poles, but about that which has been restored to unity. Adam didn't get on his knees in paradise to pray to God. But he walked with him and he talked with him and undoubtedly asked him, asked him many questions. It's not to suggest the elimination of prayer, not at all. Rather to say, speak to him with open eyes and ask God to make you wise for the days of your trials. You're in it together, God and you. God will give generously to all those who walk with him. He's not a God who is out to find fault with us, to create an atmosphere in which we may wonder whether he hears us, yes or no. He's there for us through the restorative work of Jesus Christ. Ask, and it will be given. Jesus said the same in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For anyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. We must not doubt these words. We must exercise them. We all need wisdom for the trials which we face. Now we know that we also stand in the freedom to obtain it from God. We have only to ask. But perhaps you're not completely at ease with this. Perhaps you still have questions. James anticipates this. And so we come to our second point, asking in faith. Brothers and sisters, the testing of faith by God is intended to work out the steadfastness of our faith. And that's done to make us complete so that we lack in nothing. What does, that, what does this imply for our lives here on earth as Christians? It implies that trials need to continue for us. Paul says as much in Romans 5, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. 
And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Whom he has given us. And Peter echoes the same in his first letter, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold. Think of that statue again. Which perishes even though refined by fire. May be proved genuine. And may result in praise, glory and honor. When Jesus Christ is revealed. I know we don't always understand. Why God places trials before us. We think, we think of them along the same lines as we think about wars. We don't like them. And let's face it, trials in themselves are, are not positive things. But they're there to test us. To make us take a stand against them. But brothers and sisters, trials are not the same as having to live with wars. Trials have to do with the reality that we constantly live in a divided world, a world dedicated to the glory of God on the one hand and a world intent on serving the evil one. These two clash at all times. And they will continue to. But we're talking here about a victory of the manifestation of the victory of Jesus Christ. And it's in that light that we say God seeks to use these trials in our lives. He seeks to show his victory in Christ over the powers of darkness by calling us to show that we are faithful to his cause. Now we may ask, why is that necessary? It's necessary, brothers and sisters, because God is obviously preparing us for the kingdom that is to come. He wants us to show the same dedication in this life as we will show in the life hereafter. And therefore we must exercise our faith to express joy in the face of these trials of many kinds. Trials of life will seek to sway us, set us apart from serving God. But it's exactly in those instances that God wants us to live securely in the knowledge that nothing can separate us in this life from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And because we are not strong in ourselves, we are given the opportunity to ask God to strengthen us for the cause. But now we must know the manner of our approach. Remember what we said before. We live in the victory of Christ. We live in a restored relationship with God. You are therefore to come to God full of confidence 
There must not be any doubt on your part. Just as God gives us what we need without any secret reservations, we must also ask him for wisdom and faith without reservation. We must have no doubt in our minds that God will answer us and provide us with everything we need. To put it in our own words, God is honest and frank in his giving, so he wants every petitioner to be honest and frank in his asking. James says about the person who asks God, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. A sea wave is unstable. At one time the wind blows it one way, the next time another way. It is subject to the play of the wind in all of its variances. An unstable mind is a lot like a sea wave. Thoughts strike the unstable mind from one direction and then from another. Apparently these things were starting to happen with with these scattered believers. And because the unstable mind does not know to resist the thoughts and to stay constant, it gives in to all the different thoughts, tries to incorporate them all, takes in one thought and then gets discouraged, grabs another thought. And because it, because it, because of this, it shows its instability, shows that it can never simply hold Onto that joy in the midst of trials. That person can never have joy in his life. Being unstable, understand it correctly, is different than being in need. I hope you understand the difference. We always stand in need. That's why that word ask is here. We're not perfect yet in our faith and our commitment to the Lord. And we're not in that final perfection yet. But if you are in need, then the opportunity is always there for you to believe and not doubt that God will help. For your life is hid in Christ. You must therefore know that you stand in that victory of Christ. That his victory is true for you. That he has won the battle against your sin. And stands in the position to grant you anything and everything of the new life. Able to withstand every trial and affliction that comes your way. And perhaps you think, oh he's speaking not experiencing it. And perhaps we can all say that. But what is it we have? What is it we've truly received? What is it that Christ has really given? Is it not for joy? And is it not always for joy? In the face of trials and tribulations to have joy? Indeed. That's where the faith come in. We have, to, we have to grab hold of this. We have to ask the Lord to give us this joy. 
have to ask the Lord for the wisdom. The wisdom to look to Him in all things. And that's not to say that we will never be harmed when we believe in Christ. We don't minimize what Job lost. To say, oh, that's nothing. But look at his faith. On the contrary, the trial you may have to endure may be one that costs your physical life. I ask you to consider that many Christians have died because they would not let go of the one thing in life that set them free. The liberating power Jesus had presented them with, the joy that it afforded in their hearts. Theirs is the apex of the wonderful news that we may leave you with this morning. News to encourage you in the face of your trials. They died firmly holding on to the secure knowledge that the work of God had begun in them. God was now bringing it to its full maturity and completeness in them at that supreme moment when they were dying at the hands of their oppressors. They felt themselves slipping safely into God's waiting arms all because of Christ. We have joy and salvation. Be wise, brothers and sisters. Amen.